Hello world, welcome to another edition of Mr. Speaker Speaks, the podcast that educates, stimulates, and rejuvenates your mind. Oh, today I have Dr. Red Cross with us, and (laughs) you know, a lot of stuff ran through my mind about that last name. I'm going to ask some questions about that. <laughs> I'm sure. I can only imagine. I'm ready for it. Yeah. You know, Dr. Red Cross <clears throat> is my guest today, and we're going to be talking about the style of medicine, um, that the way he does his practice. We're going to talk about some COVID issues. We're going to talk about some uh, vitamin D issues. We're going to talk about a doctor-patient relationship here today on Mr. Speaker Speaks. So Mr. Speaker is going to be speaking with Dr. Red Cross. But like always, let us pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this time. I thank you for another opportunity to come to share information that will be beneficial to the listening audience. Now I ask that your presence be here with us to lead and to guide this conversation. You know who will listen. You know who will be touched. You know who will be enlightened by this conversation. So God, let it be great. Let it be to your standards. Let it be to your glory. And now, Lord, I ask a special blessing upon my guest, Lord. Let your hand be upon him in all of his endeavors. God, continue to strengthen him, to guide him, and to open doors for him, Lord, that he can continue to use his God-given gifts and talents for your glory. And we will give you all the praise, the glory, and honor in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 And the scripture that I would like to start us off with today comes from the third epistle of the book of John. uh, And it's verse two. And it says, Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health, even as thy soul prosper. Third epistle Mm -hmm. of John, verse two. Nice. Well, Dr. Ken, it is truly a pleasure to have you here today. And going on, go ahead. Let me tell you, Vincent, look, I, I have to just cut in here, guys. You have no idea how excited I am. You got me hard. It's hard for me to even sit in my chair, starting <laughs> with a prayer like that and getting it started right. So I want to thank you for doing that and, and for your prayers, because I, I, I'm like you. I'm a praying man as well. And so I'm excited to be here today and, and, and hopefully share my story and touch a lot of souls today. So I just wanted to at least interrupt for a second and just thank you. You got me excited. It's hard to stay in this chair, but I'm going to do my best. Hey, anytime. I mean, this is a conversation, man. We're, we're, we're before the world. You know, I'm going to ask you this question. Mm-hmm. If someone were to want to know who you are at the core in three mm-hmm. words, how would you describe yourself? Oh, gosh. I, I, the first thing I would say is is honest, true, and blessed. And the reason why I probably say all of them is that, you know, I've been very fortunate to touch a lot of different patients, and it's because I am honest. I'm honest about how we can heal, whether it take a prescription pad or not, which is not my preference, or even on the holistic side of healing. And blessed is something that I, I think people kind of feel as far as what I what I radiate, because what I do each and every day is not about me as far as I'm concerned. I've just been very fortunate and blessed with a, with a, a skill set 
um, that's been bestowed upon me. But once again, it's not about me. It's about everyone that I'm very fortunate and blessed to touch each and every day. So, you know, I think those are the, some of the important words that uh, if you know me pretty well, and hopefully by the time we get off of this podcast today, everyone, you guys will, will, will feel the same. Talk, talk to us about your journey to medicine, um, your journey. How did you get interested in it? And how did you get to where you are today to go from traditional type of delivery to this concierge model? Oh, wow. Well, you, you know, one of the things that's interesting, everyone. So, look, I, I grew up, I'm an only child. I grew up uh, down, down south, first doctor in my family. And, you know, what's interesting is, I never knew I could necessarily become a physician. I thought I was going to be a, a biology teacher. There was nothing wrong with that. I loved science. But it was only when I got into my, my college and school and saw a lot of people in classes with me, Vincent, who were all applying to med school and pharmacy school and all these other schools. And, and I'll never forget the day they said, so, Ken, well, what are you going to do? Which school are you going to apply for? And, and I was totally, uh, totally fronting at the time, Vincent, like, well, I'm going to apply to med school. Um, <laughs> just, just doing what I, you know, totally fronting. But, um, but, uh, but it was in my heart and it was in my soul. And, and sure enough, at that point, I'll never forget the day. I was living in the frat house in college. And I remember oh, you know I'm actually how, getting which 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 <laughs> <laughs> I knew that was going to start something. But, uh, but, but let me let me tell you this part. Go ahead. Right. We'll come I back to that. that letter in the best frat house. I received that letter, and that letter said you've been admitted to medical school, Medical College of Virginia in Richmond. Um, and, and I'll never forget as an only child calling my mom and saying, Mom, you know what? I, I think I'm going to med school. And, and just hearing that happiness. And I mean, you talk about a blessed day that I'll never, ever forget. So, um, you know, that's where my journey sort of started many, many moons ago. I've been in practice 20 years. Um, and over that time frame, you're right. I started in, in Western medicine, in which I trained at Columbia, everyone here in New York. I'm very proud to say I bleed Columbia blue. Um, and then went out to California for a while. And then when I got out to California, that's when I started to see there were some alternative ways of healing. So that's a little bit of my story as we get into it. But I, I know Vintage wants to go back to that fraternity question. It's all good. It's all good. <laughs> First, I heard you say down south. You know, when I think of down south, I'm in I'm in Florida. So I mean, when you say oh. from down south, what part? Where, where is down south for you? Oh, Virginia, Virginia, Virginia. Okay, because we say down south. Yeah. I thought you was talking about like Miami, Fort Lauderdale. All see, oh no, we call it that. See, in Virginia, we call that the deep south. That's the deep south. <laughs> where I'm from is the south in Richmond, Virginia. Where I grew up. In Hampton, okay. But Richmond is where I went to college, so that's what we call y'all the Deep South. Deep South, okay. It's warm down this way. Yeah. So, oh yeah. So, so which fraternity did you pledge? Well, the only the only thing it's always about the crimson and cream, as oh, far as I'm concerned. So. I, I, I can understand, you know. I... <laughs> <laughs> uh oh, uh oh. Is this over? Is this grand opening, grand closing now? Oh no, don't... no, no! I, I can't do you like that because we all brothers before we greet. Uh oh, uh oh. But but you, you but you you know since you write that you you know you you was, you know about being in New York and you know 
everything like that. You know about those those men who started everything in Ithaca, New York, at Uh-oh. Cornell University back in 1906. You know, the, I believe black and gold. I figured that. I figured that. I figured that. Look, we all make mistakes from time to time. And, and that, that's okay. That's okay. <laughs> so I'm okay with that. I like you nonetheless. We're all brothers. Mistakes or not, it's okay. That's okay. Hey, God forgives. <laughs> <laughs> he does that. Yeah. He does that. I mean, and looking at this this, this whole thing, you know, when I, I saw some of your photos and I, I really got into this concierge model, I mean, yeah, to me, yeah. it's like old school doctor with the black bag coming to the house. Yeah. What? I mean, what prompted you to do that? Yeah, you know, Vincent, it's funny. So as, as I was telling you guys at the beginning of the segment, look, I went out to California, and that's when I realized that, once again, there were some alternative ways of healing because I had trained here in Columbia with Western medicine, and things were a little bit different. But I had patients that were getting better without my prescription pad, and I started to really, really appreciate that because I didn't want to write prescriptions that weren't necessary either. But in the midst of that, as I was seeing patients, I started to recognize that medicine was starting to shift more towards volume and less towards value. And what I mean by that is that we were required to see 20 a day, 30 a day, and that wasn't enough because for me, Vincent, I couldn't get into the soul of the patient in seven and a half minutes, which is the national average as far as the time you get with your doctor. And so I started to think, well, what can I do that's a little different? Now, we're talking back in 2007 now, everyone, when I was in Cali for a while, for about seven years. And I'll never forget that I went to see a producer. The, the, um, the assistant for a producer on the um, set was, uh, wasn't feeling well. And so she came to tell me that her boss was ill. He couldn't go out. He was doing this big movie, um, but he was too sick to go. And, I, and once again, you talk about just a blessing that came to me. I said, you know what? Tell him I'll come see him. Wow. And she said, what? This is 07 now, everybody. So this, this makes no sense, right? But I said, tell him I'll come see him. So I'll never forget. I saw my 30 patients for the day, very unhappy and unfulfilled. <laughs> and I went, and she got me on the lot at Universal Studios. I went to see this gentleman. I went, I had a stethoscope, and I had a prescription with me, a prescription pad with me. Went in there to see him, and he's like, oh, doc, you already know what I have. I have an upper respiratory infection. This is all I need. And so we go there, and we go through that visit. But, guys, I was with him for maybe 20 to 30 minutes, and literally I felt like my soul was filled because he was so, so pleased and happy. And so I asked him, or he asked me rather, so, doc, what do I owe you? And I had no idea, everybody. I said, um, $100? He's like, what, $100? He wrote me this big check, and right then it was born. Oh, and my. the reason why I was born from then, it wasn't even about the money, everyone. It was about the appreciation that he had for me to be there. It was about the fact that I felt his soul. For that 20 minutes that I was there with him, he was so encouraged and happy, and I was able to really um, kind of almost, in a sense, inspire him to oh, not only help, but also happiness. That's the reason why anytime I send out um, any of my emails, Vincent, I always say in health and happiness, because those are the two things that I feel I was born to do on this earth, to provide to those that I'm blessed enough to meet. Um, And so that was when I started in 07 and I had to, you know, it was a, it was a slow and steady kind of climb because concierge medicine was brand new at that time. It really hadn't been found at that point. And I started to realize there was a better way to deliver care that offered actual value. And it wasn't about volume. And I can attest to that because the, 
the relationships that I have with my physicians, the ones that I really cherish are the ones where they don't rush me and they take time yeah. to listen to me, yep. you know, and yep. I, you know, I, I deal with some autoimmune issues and, you know, I'm a, I'm a veteran, mm-hmm. um, from the mm-hmm. Gulf war, but I had some challenges when I, I had to switch doctors once I was like, are you listening to me? I mean, I just didn't yeah. feel that connection. It's like, okay, I'm paying you. Can you at least act like, you know, as my wife would yeah. say sometimes, can you just placate me for a little while? It just placate. <laughs> can, you, can you act like you want to, to talk to me? But then the other physician, I mean, 15, 20, 30 minutes and really understanding me and hearing me and listening to me. But then really guiding me to where I needed to be. Uh, it just made a difference. And so that value yeah. is very important. So how do you go about building this type of practice? I mean, are you still associated with, with um, a, a, another practice that's still housed in brick oh, and mortar? Oh, no, no, no. Oh, no, everyone. So I'm totally independent. You know, look, this, this passion for me is the patient Dr. Bond. So much so I wrote a book called Bond. And it's about how you actually have that perfect bond, which requires four things, trust, respect, empathy, and communication. Those are the four pillars. And if all of those are great, then you have an awesome relationship with your doctor. But if one of those falls, there is an issue and a problem. And so those are the four things that are so important. And for me, in order to do that, I do it alone. When I go, I, I I make house calls. I travel when patients need me. Um, so I have a very kind of um, a very kind of bespoke practice um, that allows me to keep the numbers small, but once again, keep the quality high. Um, and so, no, not associated with one of the big conglomerates. I have some privileges at one of the hospitals should some of my patients go in and I want to visit. Uh, but once again, that's not even necessary these days. I can go into any hospital where a patient is, is in there and I need to go and see them, except for COVID um, limiting, of course. Um, but my point is, it's taken a long time to be fortunate enough to kind of carve out this niche uh, practice that I have that allows me to literally feel like I'm not working each and every day. It doesn't even feel like work. It's just a blessing, and I feel like I'm doing the the, the work of someone a lot greater than I am. It, I can understand. I mean, just hearing it in your voice, it just feels like this type of practice makes you come alive. Um, I, oh, yeah. I can relate to that by way of speaking. It really makes me come alive. Your clients, they appreciate it. But here again, oh, yeah. what are the challenges with this type of practice? Because you're driving, you're going back and forth. They're not coming to see you. You're not centralized. You're mobile. You're going to see them. What challenges does that present for you? Well, look, I I think one of the challenges, luckily, luckily, Vincent, it's not as much a challenge for me as it is for maybe some of my colleagues who think about concierge medicine or think about this, because you got to have a sort of kind of certain personality for this. I'll tell you, (laughs) look, I told you guys, I'm an only child, which means I will talk until the cows come home. Oh, yes. I don't have a problem talking. (laughs) Okay. So I don't have a problem talking, talking. I don't have a problem getting a phone call at 2 or 3 a.m when someone is a little concerned or a problem or issue. So there's a little bit of a personality thing that kind of you need to fit into this. So the only challenges are this. The, the main challenge is that I'm only one man 
one person. Luckily, because of a couple of programs I have, I can kind of I take care of people who are out of the country in Europe and in Canada now by kind of a consultation sort of thing that I do as well, where I can kind of help counsel patients from afar with their medical experience with their doctor, answer questions, discuss what they should ask their doctor, how we should navigate their care together while they have their primary. So that allows me to have more kind of um, claws out to touch more people and more souls. So that's the only challenge is that I can't be everywhere. Um, that's the only thing. But once again, with just a little bit of innovation, I've been able to kind of grow what I do and in, in, in my, in my skill set and passion for the patient, Dr. Bond. Wow. That is so powerful. It's like, I love to talk with people who enjoy what they do to where it's not like work. That is powerful. Yeah. And, you know, being being a doctor, I got to bring up some medical questions now. When we mm-hmm, look at this do. environment in which we live today, this whole mm-hmm. concept of COVID-19, when you yeah. look at it, why isn't it? I mean, I, I know it's just not going to disappear, but why are we constantly seeing these spikes not only in the in the virus itself being presented in patients, but deaths. Yeah. Well, look. So, so let's let's kind of start from the beginning, everyone. So, I'll never forget my first house call um, with a COVID patient was March 29th, um, and going there and seeing a patient who had been discharged from the hospital, African American female that had been discharged from the hospital because there were no more beds left. No more beds left. So she was sent home and honestly almost sent home to not be with us anymore because she did not belong in the home. So it's interesting that my first patient that I saw was an African-American female because now I fast forward to the month that we're in now this year, 2021. And one thing we've seen is that the disease states that we are seeing that most likely COVID preys on is that of lung disease heart disease, diabetes, and obesity. Those particular four disease states are also associated very much so in the African-American and the Latino communities. So now we're starting to understand a lot about some of the healthcare disparities that we see. So in other words, certain areas when there's brown and black people don't necessarily have all the options to be able to get some of the therapeutics that are out there. Not only that, social distancing in those areas is a social, it's, it's, a, it's a luxury in order to be able to social distance. It's not something that comes easily. And when you look at the front lines, once again, African-Americans and Latinos are very um, most often unable to actually telework. Um, And so as you see this story play out, what's happened with COVID is that it's really shown this big light on some of the healthcare disparities. But in addition to that, Vincent, it's also shown a light on the importance of vitamin D. And the reason why I say that, because those four disease states that I talked about, lung disease, heart disease, diabetes, and obesity, all are associated with low vitamin D levels. And who has the lowest vitamin D levels in the United States? African-Americans, second, Hispanics, Latino. So when you start to understand the story, that's when you start to realize, when I go all around the nation, Vincent, to say this, everybody listening, know your vitamin D levels. It's that important, not for treatment of COVID or prevention, but for making sure that your immune system is robust because that's where vitamin D really does its magic. And you want those levels between 40 
and 60. That's kind of the sweet spot. So whether you go to your doctor's office, which was tough, Vincent, if you can imagine, back in March and February, if you recall, it was impossible. So I talked to patients about going to a website called thepowerofd.org. Here, Vincent, you can order an at-home test kit that will be sent to you. It's a finger stick, and a lot of my patients who are diabetics, it's really simple. And you send the card back, and you get your vitamin D results. So in other words, there's no excuse for us not to know what our vitamin D levels are because vitamin D really is a game changer when we're talking about immune support. And I'm going to share something with, with the audience here relative to vitamin D. After I ask this question, what mm-hmm. are, what's the attributing factors to vitamin D levels being low in the uh, black and brown community? Oh, that's a great question. So, look, I'll tell you this, everyone. So, everyone listening, even if you're if you're not minority, we, it's a worldwide problem for vitamin D deficiency, actually. But when you're talking about the black and Latino community, there's a few things. Number one, the melanin that's in our skin, while you look at whether the skin is brown, more brown, darker, that actually blocks out the sun's rays. And so when the sun's rays are blocked out, guess what? Your skin isn't converting and making as much vitamin D. Now you pair that with the fact of the, of the coronavirus, which has kept us all inside really since February and March, so you're not even getting whatever, sun's, whatever rays of the sun that you were getting before. And then pair that up with the third factor, Vincent, in that vitamin D is not particularly natural in our diet. People will mention milk, but that's fortified with vitamin D, meaning that it's added. And the only way you usually get it out of your diet is fatty fish, whether for me I like sardines to get my vitamin D Ooh, sometimes. Ooh, sardines? Still, Ooh, Lord. I know. I know. Way old school. And, and, and I'm not the most popular parent in the house because of it, okay? No, no, sardines uh, and crackers. Oh, Lord, no. <laughs> but good for you. Good for you. I hold off on the carbs there, but yes, sardines. But once again, that's not enough, everyone. And so it's hard to get a natural source. Organ meats, but once again, not big in the no uh, in the diet here in America. That's what I mean. It's not big in the American diet. So you got to supplement. So that's why I always tell people, get on my level when I'm talking to patients. And when I say get on my level, I'm always joking with them. And I mean my vitamin D level. Um, because whether you're coming into my office or whether I'm going to see you and setting up a blood draw, or you're going to thepowerofd.org to test your own. Know your levels, especially now. Yeah, and it's it's very important for my listening audience. I, I will share with you all um, because I <clears throat> I deal with an autoimmune disease. I deal with uh, lupus, SLE, mm-hmm. and going to my rheumatologist and things of, of that nature. And when they really did a test on my vitamin D, mine was like le- less than ten. Yeah, see, and and look, everyone, so I appreciate you sharing that, Vincent, because that's a problem. So when I'm telling everyone that 40 to 60 is where we kind of need to be, it's because we recognize that vitamin D, there's a receptor on almost every immune cell in our body for vitamin D, which lets you know it's because it's supposed to be there. We're supposed to have enough. We have studies and trials that show the benefit of vitamin D, especially for folks like you, Vincent, who are really, really low. When you get back up to those levels, I promise you'll feel a difference. One of the bigger things I love to hear is when patients say, you know, Doc, now that my levels are up, I have this sense of well-being. And that's a, that's a, that's a great kind of statistic or a great thing to see have a patient saying they just feel that sense of well-being. And, so, and it was biggest and, and more stark in patients just like you, Vincent, that were really, really low and then got up to those levels between 40 and 60. Yeah, they um, 
and they put me on a prescription um, vitamin yep. D to raise the levels. And ever since then, and I've I've gotten it up, and I'm I'm Good. above that forty. But every day I Good. take supplements. I think I take two tablets yep. a day. I think it's like four thousand. Uh, okay, international units. Yes, okay, I take four thousand a day. Every day. Yeah, yeah, and that's interesting, <laughs> and, and it's interesting as well. That's why I told everyone about the the two ways to get your levels done, whether it's at the powerofd.org or with your doc. And the reason why I mention it, everyone, you got to know your levels so you know how much you should be taking. So, for instance. Um, you know, both of us have brown skin, and so we have to take a little bit more than others. I take 10,000 units a day, and even with 10,000 units a day, everyone, my my last um, my last vitamin D level was around 65. I tend to like mine a little higher, especially during cold and flu season, and now coronavirus being around. Um, so you figure, even with 10,000 units, it's not that I'm that I'm in the 80s or 90s or some of those levels we don't want to get up to. So, but you don't know what to really do, and you're in, you're kind of walking in the dark if you don't know what your levels are. Are are there any adverse effects to vitamin D getting too much? Um, and does the body produce any, like in in the bones or anything like that, or is that calcium? Or do you need calcium to no. help absorb the vitamin D? Is there anything else that's needed? Well, that's a good question. In fact, vitamin D is necessary for us to be able to absorb calcium properly, which is the reason why when we first found out about the importance of vitamin D, Vincent, it was about rickets and kids and their bone structure and how to realize that hmm, vitamin D is important for calcium to be absorbed in the gut. Um, And so we learned a lot about vitamin D there. Luckily, um, vitamin D is something that it is not easy to overdo it. Well, let me back up and say this. Obviously, you should stick to, and I usually say I don't get more than 10,000 units. Everyone's different. When I talk to patients, it's usually 2,000 to 5,000. Now, should someone have some, you know, uh, some other challenges and don't understand, they take a whole bottle and there's some other, you know, mental health issues, that's different. But once again, by God's great design, when there's too much uh, vitamin D taken in, a, in an unfortunate case like that, number one, your body tries to shift the vitamin D into an inactive state in the liver in and of itself. And number two, you get darkening of the skin. So with darkening of the skin, that obviously blocks the sun's rays again. Now, obviously, you can get to a point to where there can be liver failure and other problems. But once again, that's not common, and that's for people who I'm talking taking over 60,000 units a day for a while. So that's usually someone who has some other challenges and mental health challenges that we need to address, but not common. I didn't hear much about vitamin D in the news when COVID uh first came out um they were talking about a whole Mm -hmm. lot of other things and and one thing that just um got me all excited was hydro uh uh, plaquenil yeah hydrochloroquine i just called it plaquenil i was like oh my goodness yeah they're gonna make a run on plaquenil i had to call my doctor i need (laughs) because i I need the plaquenil for my sle yeah because i i take it take that every day but they talked about that but they never really i didn't hear at least any anything about vitamin D. Are there any studies out there that you can point us to that show, um, one, how vitamin D helps with COVID? 
Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, let me tell you this. It's funny you said that. So at the beginning, everyone, you recall, and here in New York, we're one of the first institutions, actually, one of the institutions that, I, that I'm a part of, actually, uh, when I told you I had privileges at one of the hospitals, they were doing trials with vitamin C because over in Wuhan, evidently, they were doing vitamin C drips. Now, they were super high-dose vitamin C, not enough for us to kind of take orally. But what ended up happening is that the vitamin C trials didn't necessarily bear out. But one thing that's interesting, two or three months back, you remember that Dr. Fauci was talking to the to the task force. And one of the things they mentioned to him or asked him is, what are you taking right now? It came up that he says, look, I take vitamin C. And guess what else? Man? So he says, I take vitamin D. So if it's good enough for Fauci as well, who is who is really into this, to recognize the benefits of, of, of vitamin D as well. So vitamin D has been getting a lot more press as we recognize because for years it's been stuck as that bone vitamin, that bone sort of space. But it isn't. It really and truly isn't. And there was a good study. Uh, it was a correlation study out of Indonesia, and this study showed that those whose levels were less than 19 – it was associated with 100% mortality. Then those whose levels were over 34 and those other levels, it was associated with zero mortality. Wow. Now, so when you look at those sort of things, that's a correlation study. So these are, these are different studies. But the point is that's really underscoring the importance of what vitamin D deficiency looks like and what it matters. Because when you have someone who's really low in vitamin D, Lots of times you don't know why you're fatigued or you're down. You're not feeling your well, yourself. You're not feeling well because vitamin D is a cofactor for so many things. Um, so that's why we're starting to understand how important it is in the story of our health, especially as we're dealing with not only the coronavirus, Vincent, but let's not forget, everyone, that influenza is still circulating as well. Correct. I mean, you don't hear much about that. Um, I, I normally take the flu shot. I didn't take it this year. Um, because last year I took it and two weeks later I got the flu, but I know, I know that the shot doesn't cause the flu. No, it doesn't. But I ended up and I, I, I actually had the flu and I had to take off this whole thing. Now, when I talk about the flu shot, now they're talking about mm-hmm. vaccination for COVID. Yep. Yep. You know, my viewpoint on this and I'm just sharing, I just don't know about the vaccine. All right. Um, you know, I'm I'm a military man. I'm African-American. I think about all the things. And I know the shot is being distributed to a lot of people. Sure. But for me, sure. it, it to me, it came to market too quick. But I know they were talking about this new way of dealing with RNA or something like that. There but, you go. There you go. But help us to, 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 well. to see this. Um, what type of education is really needed? Um, for people to to not be convinced, but to have enough knowledge to make an informed decision about this vaccine. You know, Vincent, I think that's a, a great point. So look, everyone. So as we're talking about the vaccine, I think there's an important thing. The elephant in the room is obviously the Tuskegee experiment that yes. we all have had ingrained in our lives since we were embryos born we know about this already and it's something that's very hard to kind of forget especially with the way we've been treated throughout healthcare. but i'll tell you this this is a little bit of a different story and the reason why i say this and one of the new things i'm going to be doing vincent is i am going to try to get on the road to see how many lives i can touch look my whole practice is about every life right Mm -hmm. but right now i need to make sure that i'm also out touching the, the lives of the black and latinos because 
they are dying at three times the rate. We are dying at three times the rate of those who are Caucasian and being hospitalized in some places up to four times the rate. So as we're talking about the vaccine, we're talking about there's a new technology, everyone. So for the Moderna and the Pfizer vaccines that are out, you are not getting the coronavirus injected into you the way some vaccines actually work. Some vaccines like the flu uses a killed inactivated virus in order to get your body to kind of make antibodies. But this is brand new. And because it's brand new, and that's the reason why it came a little bit quicker than, than some really understand, Vincent, because it didn't really come in October when we started to hear about it. It's been around for a while, a different technology, but it didn't work with some of the other viruses, the Zika, Ebola, hepatitis C. It just didn't work. So it isn't brand new. It's just that we were very fortunate in that it actually works for this coronavirus that we're all dealing with. So I think that's one thing to explain. Number one, didn't come too fast. We've had it. Number two, we spent over $19 billion with the B dollars to put into this vaccine. And it wasn't only a United States effort. It was a world effort. So that really helped to expedite things as well. The other thing that I think is important for us as well, when you start to see the numbers as an African-American male or female, you start to see people around you and in your family and how impacted we are. That's when I kind of dial back and say, now, guys, we're going to look at this vaccine as a maybe as a blessing, maybe maybe that this is something that we can utilize to stay well and, and or either get well, um, if that's the if that's the case. So I need our mind state to change. But once again, the messenger is important, Vincent. Uh, you know, the messenger needs to be someone who 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 looks like me or looks like you in some cases to say, look, I get it. I had to fear as well. Even as a physician, when you look at the studies, 65% of, of minority physicians still within healthcare have not gotten their vaccine either because they want to wait. They want to see. And those are some things that are going to have to change if we want to get back to regular life. So part of my kind of newer campaign I want to go on is having talks just like this educating, talking through it, finding out, well, if you have diabetes, you need to have your vaccine. There's no talking there. You need to. You're, immuno, you're immunocompromised. And those are the things that the, that the coronavirus preys on. I've lost patients who are 40 years of age and, and, and don't know, there's no rhyme or reason why a 40-year-old would pass away besides, with no medical illness except for this virus and what it can do. So when I start to think of those sort of things, Vince, and I say, look, we have to come together as a community. We have to continue to educate, but we have to also at some point say, look, enough's enough. Because before, whether you guys know it or not, in the future, your lives are going to be impacted. You're not going to be able to travel. You're not going to be able to go to some places because you're going to have to show your, your coronavirus status at some point. Believe me, um, before the businesses shut down and the airlines and that sort of thing. It may not be today or tomorrow, but that'll be coming at some point. So I just want to make sure we're all prepared, but I also want to make sure that we're all talking so we're avoiding a lot of the disinformation campaigns, which really makes me sad because, as I mentioned, I have patients all around the United States and, and the world, really, and I've gotten all these videos that they'll share with me, and it's sad because they're staged, they're not true, but they're always sent to my African-American patients. Wow. So what is that? What is that? And so I'm not a conspiracy theory person at all, but if someone comes to me and they want to think there's a bigger conspiracy theory with the vaccine, I ask them, what about the information you're getting? Is that a conspiracy theory that's going on or a conspiracy? I don't know. But the point is, is that there's a problem. 
we have to come together as a community and figure out how are we going to protect ourselves. And the vaccine may be a blessing in how to do that. How do you communicate differently uh, than uh, white doctors to get uh, to better relay information or to deal more effectively with the black and brown community? You know, that's a good question again, Vincent, because I'll tell you this, guys. So I I think one of the things I would say, I, I wouldn't really characterize it as 100% different, but but I but I get it. I think that's the big key. I, I've been there. I've, I've, I've had my run-ins with police for doing nothing. I've had myself, I've been called the, 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 the derogatory term. I, I've been through all of it. And there's some semblance of kind of going through war. With it, with you being in the military formerly, you get it how it is and how oh, yeah. close you are to to people that you have seen some things that you would never want to see, and so I can say that I've been there and I've done this. And on the flip side, I will say that I've had that I've had white colleagues that have been right there in the trenches with me when I practice in in Harlem, and they were there with me when I was in Guatemala seeing patients. So you know, I wouldn't say as a I would just say the fact that I get it and they know I've been there and, and I can, um, we can relate to some things. And I think that's always very important, especially with something as, as significant as the, as the coronavirus and, and the vaccine in particular, like doc, how do I trust, man, you get it. Like, how do I do this? Um, and so that's the conversations that I truly love having. I mean, these are the ones that are rich. This is what life's about here. Being able to, once again, this is getting into the soul of the patient to the soul of the listeners right now. So this is, um, this is good stuff and the type of discussions we need to be having. And I, and I truly agree because the more information you have, not only just information, but from a reliable and trustworthy source, yeah. it, it, yeah. it helps to, to, to lay at ease a lot of fears and looking back yeah. when we first started this conversation, the first word that you used to describe yourself was honest when you look at your yeah. book, those four cornerstones, how does a doctor lay that foundation of trust? Yeah, look, it, I'm going to tell you this. It, it takes a little bit of time, um, especially depending on kind of where you are, where you're practicing and that sort of thing. It takes time. But I'll tell you, look, each and every one of us has a different energy. Each and every one of us has a different spirit. And I'm not even talking religious. I just mean you can sometimes just meet a person and say, you know, he's a good dude. Sometimes you can do that sort of thing. And so, you know, a lot of it is, is your intuition as to, as to, you know, make sure that person's heart is in the right place. But true blue trust takes some time, but it begins in the beginning with respect. And that's why I mentioned that as one of the kind of cornerstones, because you have to have a respect for the patient. The patient will usually have respect for the doctor, but on the flip side, the doc had better have respect for that patient's time to make sure that they're not waiting an hour and a half, I hope. Number two, to make sure that they get the time that they need in order to get out whatever they need to get out, whether that's just, you know, I've had a rough day, let's just chat. Um, and then they also need to also trust and, and understand that the respect is that I care about your time and what it is you do as well. Each one of us, whether you're a physician or, or, or whether you're a custodian or, or whether you're a, a restaurant worker, each one of us has a different song to sing in this world. I truly believe that. So um, that all starts with respect. 
Um, and then once that respect comes, then you can start kind of letting your hair down. I tend to find that in patients. They can start being a little bit of themselves when they recognize that you respect them for who they are. What type of questions can a patient ask their physician? What, what type of questions do you recommend? If you had the top three, um, what would well, they be? Well, I'll tell you this. So maybe not a direct question in this case yet, guys. Let me think on that two seconds. But one of the first things I will say is to make sure that your appointment with the doctor that you're going to see is an active appointment. By that, I mean when you schedule your appointment on Thursday, a lot of us just run around Thursday morning. We run into the doctor's office, and then we're out. No. What I want you to do is I want you to think Wednesday night. What's your strategy? What do you want to leave with when you get to that appointment? At the end of that appointment, what do you want? So that's when you sit down and you compose those questions. You may want to say, you know what, my my eye has been my eye has been trembling every other day. I want to know what that is. Write it down. You may want to ask, hey, what does it mean when when I do this and this happens? Whatever those things are for you, I just want to make sure that you have an active process when you get to the doctor, so you can actually leave with a strategy. The second thing I want you to do, if you're someone that you know requires some time with your doctor, then don't be afraid to ask the doctor and say, look, can we spend a little more time? In other words, maybe I should be scheduled in a 30-minute slot instead of a 15-minute slot because you know that you're a talker. That's really important, especially for my older patients. On the flip side, I have some of my millennials, and they're like, oh, doc, I don't have time. I just need to get this done. I'm working on this app. I'm in. I want to get in and get out, and that works for them. But if you're one of the other ones, don't be afraid to ask what you for what you want for because, once again, this is about you. This isn't about us. Yes, we've been blessed to, to be a physician and learn and know medicine and know the body, but at the end of the day, it's about you because if you're not there, we're not working. And then last but not least, when the actual visit is over, once again, it's another process. It's almost a little bit of a debrief. So make sure. So, Doc, I understand that for my diabetes, you want me to take this twice a day with food and take my finger sticks each and every day for you. Or at the end of this visit, so, Doc, when are we circling back again and what should I look for? What do you want me to work on before I get here? Once again, we're talking about an active process. We're not just running in and out. This is an occasion to make sure that we keep you healthy. So that's kind of, I think, three buckets versus three kind of questions there, Vincent. But the point is, at the end of the day, I just want you to understand that, look, it's about you. And so this needs to be a valuable time spent for you when you go see your doctor. I, I love that because most people tend to think of what's in it for me. And this is one of the few times that I've ever heard a, a doctor say, it's about you. Um, it's about oh, yeah. you and, and your well-being. And understanding and being willing to have a two-way communication, you know, sit down, yeah. ask, you know, answer those questions. Uh, may not get the answers that you like, but at least you understand and you're able to map out a strategy together for your well-being because it's all about you. Wow. Yep. That's powerful. Absolutely. So, Red Cross. <laughs> are, are you are you related to the organization in any way? <laughs> oh no, I'm not going there. I had my I had my issues with them, if you could believe that. Um, so no, 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 no. It's a Native American last name, uh, Monacan tribe, a small tribe um, in Appomattox County in Maryland. So, um, so there's Native blood 
um, that we have in the family that we've been able to trace and we have a family historian and all of that. So very cool stuff. I remember going to one powwow as, as a kid. So pretty, pretty cool stuff. And, um, you know, once again, another uh, heritage full of a, of a lot of soul and purpose when you talk about Native American culture and heritage as well. You have a wonderful website, and that's at drkenredcross.com, drkenredcross.com. On that site, what's, what do you want people to walk away with there? There's so much information there. What, is, what would yeah. you want them? I mean, you talk well, about strategic health, strategic advice, strategic house. Everything is so strategic about you. <laughs> yeah. It is, everybody, because that's what I want you to take away. When you go there, hopefully all of you get on my social media handles and and say hello, ask questions, and just let me know how you're doing. I really love meeting new people, and I really mean that. But on that particular website, it's about I want everyone to think of their health as a strategy because when you think of it as a strategy, you're a lot more engaged in it. When you think about your health, it's like, yeah, I got to get this appointment out of the way. Yeah, my doctor's appointment is next Thursday. But when you think about, no, I have a strategy, when you think about strategy for a game, whether it be chess or checkers or football or basketball, with a strategy, you're sitting down and, man, you are thinking, you are engaged. And I want to make sure that anyone who, once again, gets a chance to meet me or that I impact with, that they're healthier when they leave and, and also, just as importantly, happier when they leave. And the way that I can do that is to make sure that everyone thinks about having a strategy when we engage with one another or when they engage with their doctor. And so that's the important take home for them when they, when they come on my site. And I recommend that you go out and get his book bond. I mean, he he poses some great questions. Why would you want to trust your life to someone with whom you don't have a personal relationship? That is powerful. Mm -hmm. It's like, I'm going to put my hand in uh, my life in the hands of somebody. I don't really know and have a personal relationship, someone that can just with a pen and a piece of paper, just write something down and send me off to the world of pharmacy. And I just take sight unseen rather than having a conversation with you about it. You know, and I was just blessed. My wife worked at a hospital for years. Um, She's now Mm -hmm. in project management, but I was always, if I had to take a medicine, I had a pharmacist. Uh, that I could call and say, give me the, give me some information about this drug. And he would just tell me mm-hmm. all of these things because I really don't like taking pills at all. Um, I don't. Yeah, you're like so many. Yeah, you're like so many people nowadays, especially since everyone's moving more to a holistic way of healing. And that's perfect because that speaks to how I practice and to what I believe in as well. So, you know, that's why it's it's exciting. It's exciting for 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 instance, vitamin D to to be to be up to plate uh, up at the plate right now, just because we're talking about something that doesn't typically require a prescription. It did for you, Vincent, because your levels were so low. But um, for all of you out there, you can go to a lot of the reputable um, kind of natural food stores and get a good quality vitamin D. And so. Um, it's something I love being a part of because I don't have to worry about side effects or or, or talk about look out for this, look out for that, this interacts with that. No, not with vitamin D. All I need to talk about is the importance of what it does, how you can get it tested, whether it's at thepowerofd.org or your doctor, what your levels should be, which are between 40 and 60, and more importantly, know your levels. 
That's all I have to talk about. I don't need to to worry about you know any issues with with vitamin D in ninety percent of ninety nine percent of cases. Um, and so that's the exciting thing is we're getting this big big shift in 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 more wellness um, than the prescription world. So I hear you there, Vincent. It's exciting. Yeah, and I'm I'm so happy to hear that you're looking at it from that perspective because it's just, it's just powerful, man. The time has just gotten away from us. I'm looking, I'm just having a good time. I mean, we, you've enlightened us and educated us so much about this whole vitamin D, but I want to give you a shameless plug. I'm going to give you the opportunity. I'm going to give you a full <laughs> minute. I'm not even going to give you 30 seconds. I'm, I'm going to give you a, a, a full yeah. minute to talk about why should someone get your book? Go ahead. Your sales pitch for this book. I I, I know it's powerful, um, but yeah, you say? it is. Well, well, I'll tell you, everyone. One of the things that I hope you've taken away from this 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 awesome discussion that Vincent and I have had is is that truly and honestly, it is about you. It's not about me. And at this moment, right now, it's not about Vincent. You guys are listening, and it's about you and your health. Look, we all live this special life experience for however long we're blessed to have it. And so when I wrote Bond, it was because of the passion of the relationship with all of you, the patient Dr. Bond. And I wanted you all to be able to take something tangible away, which is about understanding the importance of trust, respect, empathy, and above all, communication. And last but not least, I always say this is that a doctor should feel like a member of your family. And once you have that relationship right there, you are ultimately blessed and healthy and happy and also get closer to what I call a patient nirvana. And that's the goal for, for all of you out there. So those are some of the things I talk about in the book and, and just sort of vignettes and some of my um, you know wonderful experiences that I've had with patients that I've been fortunate enough to, to be able to manage. Wow. And for my listening audience, you can obtain a copy of his book by going to his website. Um, it's right there on his website, drkenredcross.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Last question as yeah. we get ready to close. And all that you've done. And also on Amazon, too. Oh, if Amazon. You out there. Go ahead, yeah. Amazon.com. And all that there you've you done in your life and all that you've mm-hmm. seen, all that God has allowed you and blessed you to do, when you look at everything, what matters most to Dr. Red Cross? I think what matters most for me, everyone, is that I live out my, my life mission, my life plan. Look, I, I've been very fortunate early in my life and career um, to, to understand why I was born um, and, and what I'm supposed to do and what my charge is. And like I said, I consider that a blessing each and every day. And so I think that's the one thing I think about is make sure each and every day, even those days that are a little more down than others, to really dig deep and, and make sure that I'm living out my life mission each and, and every day and to stay focused on that. And if I'm doing that, then, um, you know, you, you, you got a, you got a happy man over here. And so that's always my goal. All right. Well, my brother, it has truly been a pleasure to have you on the show tonight. Thank you. Mr. Thank Speaker, you, enjoy speaking to Dr. Red Cross. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and, I, and I see the, 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 the bond on your book is in that crimson color. So I don't know if that. If there that, you go. It wasn't by accident. It wasn't by accident. I know it wasn't. I know it wasn't. Man, I really in, enjoyed our conversation. Um, and anytime you want to come back, please feel free. The door is always open for anything that you want to talk about here on Mr. Speaker Speaks. 
Oh, thank you so much, Vincent. Take care, everybody, and I really mean it. Reach out and say hello. Thank you again, Vincent. Oh, you're welcome. And for everybody, just want to let you know that you've been listening to Mr. Speaker Speaks right here on the podcast that energizes, rejuvenates, and stimulates your mind. Remember, in all that you do, be magnificent. Until next time, be good, be blessed, but most of all, be a blessing to someone.